In the Newsroom is a production in partnership with Studio Stillwater. Every week, journalists from the Stillwater News Press invite listeners to join us in the newsroom and hear the story behind the stories. Hello and welcome to In the Newsroom. I'm Bo Simmons, editor of the Stillwater News Press. Joining me today, we have city editor Michelle Charles. Hey. And publisher Kevin Shields. Hello. How's everyone doing? Doing pretty well. Doing well. Okay, last night, I get a call from Michelle. I'm almost home. (laughs) Telling me. That I misspelled someone's name. Misspelled someone's name. It Can was some, we change it? To be fair, it was an uncommon spelling. However, I'm still responsible for checking that stuff. <laughs> and I did not. So this is one thing. Uh, tomorrow wasn't, like, we fix that online um, instantly. Sure. Although if there's a social media post or something, you can't, you know, edit those things. You, you basically you have, have to delete it. and then You know, you'd have to delete it and repost it, that kind of stuff. But right. by that time, you sort of weigh in, like, do we go with the mistake if it's already picked up? traction and been right. shared by you know a hundred people or whatever but I, I think in this case it was yeah, a little bit different uh because we were able to it, because we had an e-edition which means they can change those pdfs you know in mm-hmm. plenty of time before they go out at uh what is it six in the morning kevin when six seven in the morning people uh, a little bit later than that yeah, we're working like that. we're working on that to try yeah. and get it a little bit earlier where we'd want it to be but it's yeah i usually get the email anywhere from 6 a.m till nine so yeah if, if it was uh, a if it was a press run likely would have gone through because you can't you know really stop a press run for right. a, a name correction you we know and name corrections are uh, there's something where I mean, people's names, they take that really personally. <laughs> right. It's, I mean, it's, it's a big deal, actually. Isn't it that, that thing, though, that uh, for so many people in the community, you've known them a long time, yes. right? But if you're sort of a rookie on the job, like the first question you ask is, right, how do you how spell, do you spell your, name? your name? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and, and, and to be fair, I mean, like, I, I will say this. Jennifer with one N right. was very, very understanding. Because it happens to her <laughs> constantly. But I wasn't just, but, I'm not just bugging Michelle. No, I, I, it's I wanted a big deal, to, though. you know, it, no, but, you know, and I'm not just talking about names. Yeah. But I, it sort of was going to lead me to this point that if you really think about it, we're one of the only industries that readily addresses their mistakes, right? We have but, to, right? <laughs> because, because trust is, is everything. Wait, so. we make mistakes? <laughs> we're human? Oh, Unfortunately, oh, yeah, you, yeah. You, the things you, Bo were you, says. Were you not on the phone calls about the story that didn't jump from, from <laughs> Thursday? I got plenty yeah, of those. Uh, yeah. I, I did not get calls. I've, I've gotten my fair share throughout my career. Yeah. Of, uh, yeah. And usually I catch those when I'm proofing. Yeah, that's, one I, I'm going, I, that's a big one. I, if, if you're talking about things that just, I mean, yeah, mistakes bother me to no end, but the stuff that really just irks readers i think number one is if you mess with their puzzles right yeah they're they're a small subsection or smaller but they're they're a very livid bunch if you mess with their puzzles (laughs) or their tv listings okay there's another one yeah our one of our previous publishers tried to kill the bridge column once and oh my goodness, I mean, it, you don't think of bridge as being something that a lot of people play anymore, but let's just say the people who do still play bridge are incredibly passionate. Well, the and demographic. he heard about it. 
the demographic for the bridge column, for example, is one of our most diehard. They adore us. They've been taking us for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And, you know, it's it's kind of, I've been at places where we killed the entire TV guide type thing. Um, and some have been like, okay, no one seemed to care. So we made a right decision. Other people, I, I, I kind of feared for safety, and I ran off and hid. <laughs> so right. um, I understand that. I mean, at the yeah. end of the day, as I said when I interviewed with Dale here, is we're stewards of the paper. It's their paper. It's not ours. We'll we'll one day be long gone. So, right. um, and some of us may still be here in Stillwater. Some of us may not be. So you know, it's it's a time period that we are the stewards of it. I think so. that's a I think that's a really good point. And then also, I mean, I I don't know if you and I have had this conversation or not, Bo, but I've had this conversation with someone about the fact that you know for people when they do appear in the paper when their life is documented in the newspaper i mean for a lot of people they don't get a lot of public attention and so maybe you get mentioned you know when you do something great or when you pass away and it's important to you know get the get the details right i i had one that was really embarrassing recently where i i, I don't know i was writing late i was trying to get something in about the Glencoe graduation. Right. And I accidentally, John Lazenby is a superintendent at Glencoe Public Schools. And for some reason, I typed George, who was the guy who played James Bond in the first, like what, Casino Royale movie or something? He was like the, he was like the very first James Bond in films. Now, I do not have the two guys like classified together in my brain I don't think but for some reason George popped out and I didn't even notice it when I read over the story but one of our readers did and you know they were just like how do you even get George out of John I think I've done that before with like a some kind of ball player and mixed it up with like a swimsuit model's name and they're like what's on this guy's brain (laughs) all the time right give an example and i won't mention the paper's name of how why we pay attention to that kind of stuff right on such a minute level because if it can if it goes horribly wrong and this was a sister paper of mine i'm not even going to give dates because i don't want to call them out um there was a uh, shooting at at a school event in an area where gang activity is known so the police were slow in getting, and not the police fault, in getting us a mugshot. So they looked up the name, and it was a somewhat unique name, but not overly unique, and pulled it from the high school yearbook and ran that mugshot, or not that mugshot, but that picture. That photo. Front page. Which center, we call a mugshot because yeah, it's like head yeah. and shoulders. C- it's your center, mug. center spread, basically. Right. As it turns out, there were two kids at that school with that name. So we basically, our sister paper, accused the wrong person of murdering three people. And that led to, luckily, everybody was so understanding. My whole thing with corrections at that magnitude, not necessarily the name misspelling, but if we have something where we mess up a photo, mess up a headline, is it run, and this is probably good for y'all to know, we run it exactly where it ran. If it ran on A2, it runs on A2. If it ran front page, we run it on front yeah, page. I, I think that's probably the standard. Yeah. If you, so, if you have a, a correction that major. Because right. so, we were all prepared for our sister paper yeah. to get sued into oblivion. They didn't, and they ran, but they did attorney up. The attorney called. They ran the correction on A1. But, I mean, that's 
it's just uh, you know what we were in our lesson there from the owners was you either wait for the shot because it was weekly they they had a little bit of time or we just go without a photo right. we don't run that risk of getting something that could be unofficial even if you think because they thought they were 100% accurate right so the worst one that ever happened to me was um, I did a story. I mean, I spent a lot of time with these folks. I went out and I rode on a four-wheeler with them and took pictures of them feeding their cattle. I mean, I, this was a labor of love. I wanted <laughs> to pay tribute to this, this older couple who right. uh, was named Farm Family of the Year. And I went out and I did this whole interview with them and, and they were lovely. And I was so excited, you know, for this story to come out. And when it came out, I had put the wrong first name in for the wife. All the more crushing. It was. And okay, so then <laughs> the next morning yeah. I wake up and there's like a voicemail on my on, on my phone and I'm thinking and I'm all excited because I'm thinking, oh, they're really gonna love this story and this is gonna be great and everything. No, it is a, a really, really nasty phone call from a lady who I don't even know, I've never met before, just ripping me a new one for getting this woman's name wrong in the story. And she's like, you know, how dare you even call yourself a journalist? You should be ashamed of yourself. She said that. You should be ashamed of yourself. These are Payne County people and they deserve better. And I called them and right. wept on the phone as I apologized. I literally, my voice was breaking as I was apologizing. And, um, uh, you know, I have my editor at the time, I, I think he heard as I was making the phone call and he was like, I, I think they know you were really sorry, Michelle, <laughs> but you know, and they never followed back up and they never said anything about it. But that has always stuck with me because I was just so excited. I thought it's going to be someone calling to say, Hey, that was a really nice story. No, it was not. Yeah. Would have been <laughs> so, a lot easier than uh, in the sixties. You could have just been Mr. And how, how, did, how was it done? Was, yeah, she could have yeah. been uh, Mrs. Whoever. Mrs. Yeah, cattle, name, cattle yeah, farmer. Right. Yes, that it could have been exactly that. Actually, the news press we discovered, much to my chagrin, that until the early seventies, that women <laughs> in the Stillwater news press were not given their own first names, even if they won professional awards for their own work or their community involvement, and that just blew my mind. That within my lifetime, you know, I, I just, it freaked me out. But anyway, I've never gotten over that, I don't think. Well, I mean, it's the highlight. But of, yes, it was simpler. <laughs> it's still the highlight of people's day to be able to pick up a paper. Sure. And see like their kid's name, whether it was Aww. football, academic, or their name or their grandparents' names. So yeah. we have to, we, we always need to keep in mind that on the second side of things is why it will be the highlight. Oh, yeah. If we botch that, it will be on the exact opposite end of the emotional spectrum. Oh, so, sure. Um, well, I remember the lady told me, you know, this is the kind of thing they're going to want to keep, and people at their church are going to cut this out and give it to them, and it's wrong. Her name's wrong in it. And I was just like, oh, I'm sorry. No, it's odd, though. I, like, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I've but had... But it's true. I've had, I've had, you know, rough phone calls like that. Yeah. But the other thing is I don't mind getting those phone calls, or I, I right. even not... I appreciate criticism, especially if someone catches something that uh, right. that maybe we hadn't caught because... Oh, absolutely. You know, it's like, yeah, I would rather you 
see it and let us know than let us go on making the same mistake for months. Oh, exactly. And also, it does give you an opportunity to apologize and to make it right in whatever way you can. You don't have to cry like I did. (laughs) But, you know, I think... It's a nice added touch. Well, you know, I think a sincere apology does go a long way. And, you know, the key word is sincere. You know, so you, you can't just blow it off. You have to really own it and explain how you're trying to make it right. And I, th- I think people feel better if they feel like you're actually making a good faith effort. I think that goes a long way. Every time my son's name is ever ran in the paper, for whatever reason, honor roll, didn't matter. Mm-hmm. I've had to correct the name. Is because it a it's different not, spelling? It's not, well, because every time people nowadays hear Connor, they would go, oh, C-O-N-N-O-R. No. With an C-O-N-N-E-R. E? Okay. At least you didn't do some other random vowel or something. No, no, no. With our upcoming coverage yes. or current coverage, I guess you'd say, we're on the cusp of the anniversary of the Tulsa Race Massacre. And I know Michelle went to, um, what what did they call that? Discussion? But it's sort of an open format for discussion at the Modella Gallery. Uh, it's a it's a type of I can't remember exactly what they called it, but it's like a, a community conversation type thing. It's a dinner, and then uh, they will usually have a speaker, or you know they're dealing with some type of an issue or a topic, and then you can um, you know they have like a Q and A afterwards as well. And in this particular one, they had uh, Autumn Brown, who is a PhD candidate. At Oklahoma State University, she is um, she's a historian. She's an archivist, and she gave a presentation on the Tulsa Race Massacre, which was um, you know it, it was it was interesting because it was not just the what happened in that period of time in the over those two days in, in 1921. What it it actually put it in the context of a a period of growing racial tension following World War One, And I think a lot of times people don't realize that. There was a resurgence of the KKK during that period of time. You had a lot of, um, you had a lot of black soldiers coming back, having fought in World War One, And now they've seen some of the world. They've been to other places where maybe segregation isn't the norm, where, you know, they've, they've fought and spilled blood like everybody else. They've had military training and they were and they came back, I believe, with an expectation that they would be treated more equally, more justly, which was seen as a threat by some people. Well, it's also with that, if you look back in the history and now my mom would be so proud being the American history teacher, but um, is that soldiers coming back from war, one of the things they're always looking for is that brotherhood feeling again. Right, And the Klan really used that with the white soldiers to say, here's where you can have that brotherhood again, which, you know, you talk to a veteran coming back today, it's very rare to find that anywhere else. Sure. Not, I'm not saying anywhere else but the Klan, I mean anywhere else but <laughs> right. the In United society. States military where, yeah. you know, you are willingly every day putting my life in your hands, your life is in my hands, and there's that bond that grows that right. is a big... It's one of the things they try and use groups for to get people over PTSD is to give them that bond again where they have their, you know, band of brothers made up a huge million plus dollars off of it. Great miniseries, but <laughs> um, about that whole concept of, sure. of that brotherhood. 
and you always will find those groups that are on the far fringe of hate um, or full-blown hate or far fringe of this belief or that belief, cults, everything like that, that will take advantage of that, either whether it's after a group incident, like some try to take advantage of Oklahoma City bombing um, because people are raw, they're emotional, and they're searching for connection. I mean, right. but we're so resentment builds around the country, but sure. Tulsa is unique in the fact that it's more prosperous. Right, right? exactly. You, benefiting from Friedman and, and other exactly. things like that. You had a business yeah. district. You had the right. Greenwood Business District, which was, you know, which is known as Black Wall Street. And it was a very, very prosperous area in North Tulsa. And, you know, there were there were people who wanted in on the action. And I, I think, you know, there was just a lot of resentment, right? There was a lot of racial resentment. Uh, you know, if you've got that racism kind of baked into you and we're not that, I mean, at that point, you're only what, like 50 years past slavery. So for some folks, it was within their lifetime at that point. And, you know, they're, they're looking at Greenwood saying, what gives them the right, I, I guess. So what happens is, as it often happened, uh, there was an incident invol- involving a white woman and a young black man. It happened in an elevator. And, you know, it's not really clear exactly what happened. There are a lot of rumors that right. swirl around about it. And this is it. sort of that cursory kind of exactly. the basic that, that people know. So yeah. I, I almost said Dick Rowland. Yeah, Dick right. Rowland. Yeah, uh, so, I mean, but basically yeah. something happened. Whether, you know, I mean, some people say, you know, she tripped and bumped into him and then, you know, got all upset. Other people say they had a relationship and she was trying to cover it up. Either way, he knew this was deadly for him and he ran. He winds up being uh, picked up, put in jail, and a group of black veterans know what's going to happen because they've seen these lynchings going on across the country. For the last few years, they go and surround the jail to protect him, basically. Even before that, uh, you know, a lot of people point to the Tulsa Tribune. Oh, yeah. They say they like... Shameful. Yeah, you know, as... as, (sighs) Was it the front page? I don't know. The people Like, uh, so much history is buried, you know, intentionally... What historians claim that it's it was intentionally. It is bizarre you know, how well right. the city of Tulsa, just as as a community, was able to sort of erase this huge horrible event. Right, but it, but yeah, but it wasn't just like this happened. No, this happened, no, no, this no. happened. No, it was gen, no. ginned up, and it was all sort of no, absolutely. Yeah, there, the, the newspaper yeah. played a big part in in uh, stirring emotions. There was already that tension building and building and building, and it had been across the country. And then you know somebody struck the match, and boom! Next thing you know, Greenwood was basically gone. The New York Times did an amazing uh, graphic this last week that showed uh, they basically created a map, an interactive map of Greenwood uh, with photos of what it looked like and a list of all the businesses. And then you can go and you can see what it looked like afterwards. So uh, yeah, it was a huge loss. And you know, I'm curious now because I don't know how much you touched on it in that discussion. And we're talking something about, you know, buried histories and things like that. And a lot of people sort of have been, posing this question to themselves and answering it uh, when they first learned about it. When would you have heard about it, Kevin? I heard it. it it's it, weird to, to be me fair, that it was. you had your mother was, you yeah, know. Yeah, it was a, a cover. A well, I didn't teacher. learn it from my mother. Okay. Um, I learned it in uh, junior high okay. in Georgia. Okay. 
which is not, you know, that state doesn't have the greatest race relation history either, obviously. Now, it was at a private school, but at the same point in time, I didn't, I, I don't remember all the particulars, who was involved. Well, the and elevator. at that time, I'm sure but it was I called the race the, riot. I'm I sure knew when, about the 1921, you know. I, I think it was called the race riot. It was not portrayed as a riot per se. It was a mass killing is how it was portrayed. Um, I'd heard of it. I know the details of it. And that was weird for me to come to Oklahoma and everybody, including we talked about it at the Rotary Club I was a guest at yesterday, is how, you know, it was kind of a cover up. Um, and it was just briefly talked about because we had a guy talking about notorious crimes in the history of whatnot. And then we kind of went over to that one as well. And I was like, I, I heard about it. <laughs> Obviously, I didn't hear about back when it was happening because I'm, sure. I'm old, but I'm not that old. People who, who went to public school in Oklahoma generally do not remember hearing about it in Oklahoma history. We can say it wasn't curriculum. It has only now been exactly. legislated as curriculum. Um, yes. I did, too. I mean, I, I learned about it in school, but it was because I had a teacher who taught it. That's you right. Know, that, has, that is the case for many of us. If you had the teacher who took the time to teach it. And, right. I, and, I, and I, I try and take the approach that, at least where I was at, that no one was trying to cover up anything or anything that happened in Georgia. It just goes, we ask our history teachers, uh, defending one right now, <laughs> to do a lot in the span of basically one year of high school. Right. The entire history of our country. I can't even imagine what it would be like if we we're like a European country with thousands upon thousands of years. We got couple hundred <laughs> so sure. um and what they choose and that you can make an argument for anything they don't choose that is but here it seems like it was more of a coordinated effort within the state where outside of the state at least for me it, it was taught and it wasn't just in in passing it was like a couple days and it was linked with like martin luther king's assassination different rate of Big time race pivot points okay. in the country. Um, although it seems like, while we might call it now a pivot point, uh, uh, it wasn't then. Whereas the assassination of MLK was a big moment where a lot of things changed, a lot of people's minds changed, a lot of eyes were open. Whereas with the race massacre, it doesn't seem like a whole lot of eyes were open for quite some time. Well, it's how many right. people mentioned HBO's Watchmen? As like their first entry into this, That's, that, that that was, was wild huge. to me. I yeah, believe, that I was believe crazy. How many people had not heard about that. I mean, that got national press, right? Where yeah. there were people who going, "Would you believe what happened in Tulsa?" After watching uh, the HBO series, because that was their first exposure to it. And you know, there were interviews with the producers of that who said they wanted to do it, although it's within this you know imaginary realm. They wanted to do a realistic depiction. And it sounds crazy when you think about it, but there were literally people flying airplanes and dropping bombs over the Greenwood district. It, I mean, it was a, it was an attack. It was, it was absolutely an attack that was meant to obliterate this place. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of strange because I think with, I mean, when you're talking about world history, we're talking, you know, thousands of years and I can get someone glossing over a lot, but for Oklahoma history, I have to say this, we don't have that much history to cover and we've got a whole year. We've got like maybe 150 years that they could go over. Well, you know, see, that, you're going that's back a difference to Indian too. And all that. And so I'm thinking people were kind of picking and choosing. Uh, maybe they maybe they didn't know that much about it and they just didn't feel unless you had someone who was a really 
passionate historian. I had a world history teacher in high school who actually brought history to life for the first time. She was a passionate historian. She loved it. And she told you about the personalities of the people and the things that were going on and why they were fighting these wars, as opposed to just memorizing a list of dates. And if you have a teacher like that, who's teaching you Oklahoma history, then they would probably, uh, you know, cover a lot of that more in depth, as opposed to this is when the land run was and these brave pioneers came and, you know. Well, uh, that that's one of the unique <laughs> things of Oklahoma, Oklahoma and Texas, which I know they hate to be compared, mm-hmm. but um, they both here Oklahoma history is required glossing over that or missing the race massacre in Oklahoma history is unacceptable I would say so just like it would be if it happened in Texas for Texas history Um, because they both require that class Georgia Alabama Vermont South Carolina we didn't have those Uh Um, or at least they weren't required when I lived there at least there was no there used to be a Georgia history class according to my mom they had to take but that was long gone and just, just the important parts they merged into American history because you, know, you started having newfangled classes, as she called them, show up like economics and, and and things of that nature. So, you know, how much do you require to be taken to the point where you, you, you've got to get them out in four years? So, sure. But Oklahoma and Texas are very prideful of their state history. And that's not to say Georgians aren't. Right. But we didn't have the class, Georgia history. So, which is funny because now I can be completely blunt about it i don't know a whole lot about my state's history i I know the the big moments um that occurred but i don't know like some that most people might be big in the state but were minor i know jimmy carter was president i know he was governor i don't know a dang thing that he did as governor i know a lot that he did as president and post-presidency but i'm sure in a georgia history class that'd been like a big deal because it's been our one and only native guy who made presidency. Well, I would say for Oklahoma, there's definitely been a big awakening. I mean, you're not going to be able to go anywhere this weekend, look at anything this weekend, and probably not read something about the Tulsa race massacre. I think there is a sense of trying to make it right. And trying to, I mean, and by that, I mean, I don't mean reparations. <laughs> I mean, trying to make it right by giving it the, the, the recognition of the event by, uh, you know, by actually acknowledging it and acknowledging what was done. Now, something interesting that came out of this discussion at Medela, though, is that, you know, a majority of Greenwood had been rebuilt. Within a couple of years. Right, yeah. I think, and that's some... That, that's a yeah, point that... I've been I reading mean, that, too. So when you look at the Greenwood District now, where there's a lot of, you know, dilapidation, and there are buildings that need a lot of love, and you're, you know, and it's really, there's a, a sense of rebuilding it. This is not all from the race massacre. This is not from 1921. Um, a majority of those buildings had been rebuilt within a couple of years, in spite of the fact that hardly any of the damage was covered by insurance. So these people really had to go through and they had to come up with the money to rebuild it and scrape it all back together so that they could so that they could do that. And there was looting. I mean, there are photos of people standing outside homes that they had burned with a big pile of stuff that they stole from inside. They took all the nice stuff and stole it right before they burned the houses. So, I mean, it was just, I, I'm going to say, an incredibly crappy part of our history. Let's just say that. It was what... What uh, zoning roads? Oh, the, urban renewal, urban, urban renewal, renewal yeah. and the building of yeah. um, Highway 244. Yeah, I mean, it basically cut the district in half, 
And you, if you look at the federal highway uh, program, there were a lot of freeways that went through neighborhoods of color or lower socioeconomic areas. Just because, I mean, my theory anyway, is that these are people who are traditionally underrepresented in government and in leadership positions. They don't have a lot of resources to fight. Uh, and they're just not going to get a lot of traction in saying, I, you know, I'm not, no, don't build this right next to my house. But what it does is it destroys communities. And urban renewal is well-intentioned, as I believe it probably was has had incredibly damaging effects on minority communities. We've seen it play out over the last 50 years. So how has all this you've learned shaped your story? Um, I I guess probably because there's so much of the history of the race massacre. uh, I think I'm going to try to look more at Greenwood moving forward from that. And uh, I mean, obviously touch on the race massacre as a, um, as a starting point for the decline of Greenwood, but look at it within that larger context. I really like context. I really like Many looking of at us the do. big picture. So I think I'm going to try to put it in a little more context so people can kind of see why they're, why they're still struggling. Because I think sometimes people look at areas or, or people who are having a hard time and they go, well, what are they doing wrong? But there are a lot of, there are a lot of forces at play. And I think it's important to recognize that. Well, Stillwater's got big plans, right? Yes. Yes, we do have big plans and hopes. I mean, you know, aside from Block 34, which, you know, we've already talked about. uh, Which looks like it would be really fun for mudding right now, right? (laughs) If you got out there in a dune buggy and just... Big old four-wheel drive truck. I'm not... People are going to hear that. Like, if do not... Do that. Do not. Do not go out there. My wife and kids aren't here yet, and I'm looking at a three-day weekend with nothing to do. I am not suggesting anyone go out there in a vehicle. Disclaimer. When I lived out southeast of town, we would have uh, college kids come out in their Jeeps. We, We stopped a caravan of college students in Jeeps that were coming down our dirt road, getting ready to pull into our neighbor's pasture and tear the heck out of it. Mudding, and when we stopped them, we said, "Why? Why do you think you can do this?" I remember that my husband said, "Why do you think you can do this?" And they said, "We didn't think this land belonged to anybody." <laughs> and our neighbor, who was this was amazing, he was standing out in the in the road in his boxer shorts, yelling at them because <laughs> he came out to to help. He was just really uh, you livid. can't and, own land, man. And he <laughs> was just like, he's like, yeah. Because there's just all kinds of free land just sitting around in Oklahoma that nobody owns, right? And they were just like... That's something I think Oklahoma has in common with the entire country. I I don't know anywhere (laughs) I've been like, and that land's just there. Right. Because if it's just, if somebody doesn't own it, if somebody doesn't own it or a company doesn't own it, you can rest assured the state or federal government owns it. Well, and the the fact is our neighbor grew wheat on it. So it was not great. They were going to tear up his wheat field. But anyway, so. Oh, I I didn't hear you say wheat. Yeah. I I was like, now it makes sense that the college kids were headed out there. Let me make that clear. (laughs) Wheat, not weed. (laughs) I was about to say the college kid thing makes perfect sense now. You've got to be careful with the TD thing now. It used to not be as big a deal. But anyway, so yes, there are plans. Uh, The city of Stillwater is looking at making improvements in some major areas. Uh, One thing we've needed for a while that has been in the works for a while is plans for a new fire station. 
Uh, also, for many, many years, we've talked about the need for a better animal welfare facility, a bigger one with more capacity. That one has been really overcrowded for a long time. And then also our streets, which are a perennial complaint. And um, over the years, I think people thought just kind of like we needed to tear up the whole town and rebuild everything. Uh, a couple of years ago, the city did a, um, a, a study, a structural assessment of our roads and found that actually structurally they're not that terrible, but they ride really, really rough. Like the very top part of it is not great. So what they've identified is uh, they've always told me that they had about $60 million worth of road projects that they could name off the tops of their heads that they could do right now if, if they could write a check for it that they already identified. You know, so they are looking at trying to raise about $64 million for road projects, but there are different ways to do it, right? Right now we have that half cent sales tax that's dedicated to the pavement management program. Right. But that just maintains recurring, things. yeah. I mean, that's like $4 million a year, and it just kind of keeps things status quo, keeps them from getting any worse. It doesn't really allow them to make major improvements. Or address flooding or Or, or washouts. Yeah, Yeah, anything like that. There are so many things that they just can't even touch. So uh, that's obviously not enough. So they're looking at different combinations of ways to fund this, maybe a combination of a sales tax, issuing some bonds, Our city does not carry a lot of debt right now, and we've got bonds that are getting ready to be paid off. And the fact is, we've got a pretty good rating. I think think it's maybe like an A-minus rating or something, financial rating. So it's a very good rating. And money's really cheap right now. Borrowing money is really cheap right now. I mean, comparatively to the past. I I just like how you phrase it. Money's really cheap right now. Well, no, it is. I mean... (laughs) It's just like I don't think a million dollars is very much money. It's interesting to me because I've always found concrete roads to be rougher. Yeah. And I come from a land of asphalt. Right. And asphalt, well, there's pros and cons to both. Asphalt's always a smoother ride. It's a little bit cheaper to maintain, it's just repave. Yeah. uh, Versus, I know that Texas, they at least say. That mm-hmm. the reason they go with concrete is because of the heat issues sure. that they have there. You know, right. asphalt does it doesn't not play. melt. Yeah, it doesn't play well. <laughs> right. But I, I know it can deal with like 100, 101 because Georgia sees that regularly. Right. Alabama sees that regularly. So right. I've always found because, you know, on concrete, you get that. Concrete lasts longer. But a lot of times, I mean, you don't get that continuous pour, right? It's Mm -hmm. poured in sections. And so then you've got, and even, of course, with concrete, you have to have the seams anyway, Mm -hmm. because you can't have that long, continuous thing. Whereas with asphalt, you've got that nice, smooth, continuous surface where they just roll it on out. And so that does make a difference in terms of the ride, but the concrete is more durable. So, I mean, they're they're looking at... uh, I don't know. They're looking at a lot of different things, and I think we'll be see a combination. Uh, part of the deal is you've got also utility projects. Like, we have aging utility infrastructure that's under some of these streets. So they have to find the money to replace the infrastructure while they're redoing the street. Because you don't want to build a nice new street and then three years later have that sewer line fail, finally. And have to dig it all up again and then rebuild everything. So they're really trying to coordinate things and do things in a smarter way. But what this means is there's going to be an ask. There is going to be an ask of the public for some more funding. It's just a question of how they're going to do that. Whether it's general obligation bonds, whether it's maybe passing a sales tax and using revenue bonds that would then basically borrow money in advance of the sales tax revenue, then you use your sales tax to make the payments. Whatever it is, it would require a vote. 
It's going to majority vote of people. the people. Yeah. Right. And so, which means also there is going to be a public, uh, Outreach. Yeah, this is the we're in the public outreach stage. Right? This is where we are, and we're going to have some public meetings. There's going to be a lot of education involved. I've actually got three stories planned to look at each one of these areas that they want to fund. Look at what they actually want to do, what they think it's going to cost, and how they're proposing to pay for it, and why it's needed. Basically, the campus fire station at the corner of. Uh, University in Knobloch is a beautiful old building. It's a it's a local landmark, and it is a horrible fire station to actually try to work out of. Right, they would not be building on top of that. You know, no, they're they're no. moving it somewhere else, and the the they original wanna, structure I think stays because they it's use historic the, 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 and the and don't they have some of the college uh, fire training stuff that goes through there a little bit maybe. Well, at one point they had classrooms up there for the fire service or uh, fire protection program. Uh, they don't necessarily do that anymore. They move their living quarters upstairs. But, um, you know, the the bays aren't big enough to put the new ladder truck in. And the ladder truck is actually needed at the university. That's why they have the ladder truck, because of the tall dorms. We don't have high rises anywhere else in town. <laughs> and so you have to put your ladder truck down at headquarters, at the headquarters station at 19th and Main, which is much further away. The whole idea is that if they can move the fire station over there around uh, Western and McElroy, that it'll be a little bit further west. It will give them better response times to the airport, to far west Stillwater. They'll be able to access some of the bypasses to get around town a little bit faster. Right now, you should see them trying to get those big engines out of the station at that, uh, at that intersection of University and Knobloch. It's pretty tough. Because the, there's traffic coming all the time. They can't see. They have to literally have people stand in the street and stop traffic so that they can back the trucks in and out. I think, uh, Kevin, you were here for this when we were talking about, uh, I think we were talking with uh, city manager Norman McNichol. Um, I think he was talking about the animal shelter. And he's and they unabashedly will tell you it is almost in disrepair oh, from absolutely. the part of yeah, he, you know, he, he, keeping he, the animals. He, brought, he brought all three of them up. Right. Yeah, we were there, uh, but that one he was like, "Yeah, sure. don't don't go." <laughs> well, well, remember a couple years ago when uh, the Humane Society had to put some money into their half of the building that they lease because they were—I mean, there were there was a whole wing that they couldn't use. It was—I um, don't—the the roof was leaking. I mean, there were just all kinds of things that were going on there. It just is is not well done, uh, or it's not in great shape right now. I mean, I'm sure it was fine when it was first built. But, you know, based on the presentation, they said it was almost too small when it was built. Uh, it just does not have the, the capacity that for the volume of animals that we see. And our city strives to maintain a, a zero-kill uh, shelter. So that is, uh, you know, that's something that's important to our citizens. And in order to do that, you have to have more capacity. They don't even have a good lobby. They don't have good office space. So it's like there's just a lot that's missing there. So very soon we'll find out just what people are willing to support and exactly. pay for and well and i would encourage anybody out there who has an opinion whether they're for it or they're totally against all of it go to these public hearings oh yes. these things you know everybody wants government transparency everybody wants to give their opinion but these things are horribly not well attended <laughs> it, it's that is true. sparse at best and when you do that you're forfeiting your opinion on that to whomever goes. And usually the people who will go to these things is a very small group who are either on one fringe or the other. 
who are all for it or all against it with no nuance in between that they're, hey, the roads really need to take priority or the fire station needs to take priority. Go out there, make your opinion heard. Right. And I will say that, um, you know, at a lot of these types of events, you do have what I call the usual suspects who come and, and they're a lot of times they're the people who are really involved in municipal government. They stay up on things, whether it's because they're against it or they're for it, as you said. You know, it's kind of preaching to the choir to -hmm. a certain extent. These are the people who don't even, who the least need to hear it, who need to hear it the least. And uh, a lot of times I'll sit in those things and I'll have flashbacks to like those episodes of Parks and Recreation where they, you know, have the public meetings. Oh, well, that would be fun. Then (laughs) then it's just folks coming in. And, and but it's not you're not too off though right because they right. come in because that's the thing they care about right? yes yeah you know in whatever case you know people come in to support the thing they care about oh man my father-in-law lobbied city hall for 10 years over a drainage ditch <laughs> behind his neighborhood i mean when you care yeah. about something you care about it especially when it's in your backyard or down the street from your house so i mean yeah if people would get involved that would be great and stay up on it uh, you know, if nothing else, the city council live streams its meetings, and I think most of these forums probably will be too, just because they're going to want to reach as many people as possible. Or just subscribe to us, and we'll take you know, care of that. <laughs> if, only, if only there were a place where you could find a lot of information all in one place, conveniently, you know, summarized for you. All right. Maybe we could help with that. Maybe. Maybe <laughs> that. Maybe that's a new business venture. <laughs> we should think about that. All right. That final pitch is going to do it for this episode. Thank you for joining us in the newsroom. Thank you for joining us in the newsroom. Look for Studio Stillwater wherever you find your podcasts. Find archived episodes on stwnewspress.com.